In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is taking Georgia political coverage to the next level. Now, Georgia's smartest political team is adding Hall of Fame political broadcaster Bill Nygut. I am beyond thrilled to be joining the remarkable political team at the AJC. And with the year that we have unfolding in politics, it's going to be an exciting ride. Read Bill Nygut's expert insight on AJC.com and listen to the Politically Georgia podcast with me, Greg Bluestein, And me, Patricia Murphy. And me, Tia Mitchell. Hear new episodes every weekday. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hey, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm coming to you from Mercedes-Benz Stadium, where Atlanta United defeated NYCFC 3-1 in the second leg of the Eastern Conference playoff semifinals and 4-1 on aggregate to advance to the conference finals. I'm joined by Jason Longshore of 92.9 FM and SoccerDownHere.net. Getting that right now. There you go. Um, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, and you can follow Jason at Longshoe. Um. So, Jason, what did you make of tonight's performance? Very mature. Very looked like a team that had been here a couple of times. Um, the moments that you had any kind of fear in this were were probably early in the second half. Uh, first half was very good. It's a goal from Cheneau off a deflection, off a free kick. That was your second shot on goal in the series. Started the second half, New York made a change. They went to more of a 4-1-4-1. Alexander Ring was by himself. Yonel Herrera was subbed out for Valentin Castellanos. NYC had some chances there, but Atlanta was able to ride out the best 15 minutes of the series from New York City and then regain control of the match and put it away. Yeah, let's, let me take care of some housekeeping stuff really quick that I didn't do at the beginning. Uh, the goals were scored by Joseph Martinez in the 25th minute on a penalty kick won by Franco Escobar. Uh, Miguel Almiron followed in the 42nd minute uh, with a free kick from about 25 yards into the upper left corner of the goal. Uh, He thinks it's his first free kick that he scored since he was a youth. Uh, (laughs) And then Joseph Martinez in the 83rd minute off an assist from the suddenly very offensive-minded Eric Rometty um, on a play that uh, NYCFC's left back... um, who was it, Tinnerholm or Sweat? Sweat. Uh, let Martinez onside about three to five mm-hmm. yards behind everybody else. Uh, not a good play. Um, and that's how Martinez capped it off for his third goal in the past three games. Yeah, the, uh, the Joseph Martinez in a slump and killing this team and all of those takes, uh, I think some national writers are going to have to find some new ones because this team right now is really – clicking and the attack has been good I mean they got goals in the series but defensively 
this team has locked things down against New York City. Maxi Morales was a complete non-factor in the series. Yeah, again, David Villa did not have a shot on goal uh, through 90 minutes, uh, same as last week. Morales had one shot on goal. He was marked out of the game by a combination of Eric Rometty and Miles Robinson, who made just his fourth start this season and his first, and I cannot remember when. Um, but he's big. He's fast. He doesn't take a lot of chances on defense, which is probably necessary in a playoff game, uh, and show that he probably has a future uh, with Atlanta United. Oh, he absolutely has a future for Atlanta United. Uh, The time he played with Atlanta United, too, in the second half of the season, especially that last flurry of games where ATL UTD2 had a bunch of games at home at the end of the season. They were playing weekend, Wednesday, weekend, Wednesday. And Robinson was playing in a variety of back lines. He was playing sometimes in a, in a four-man back line as one of the center backs. But most often at the end of the season, he was playing in a three-man back line, either as the right center back as he was tonight, or actually the last couple of games, he was the central of the three, playing the Michael Parker role, organizing the back line. Those performances with Scott Donnelly in USL, are what gave the team the confidence in him coming in to tonight, and he 100% lived up to it. Almiron made a point of singling Robinson out uh, at the end of his post-game interview uh, for his play. Martino said that Robinson was one of the three best players uh, for Atlanta United tonight, just to give you an idea of his impact on the game. Who were the other two? Uh, he didn't. Oh, he no. Didn't I was curious uh, because my man of the match was Franco Escobar. And we went through about five, six different guys. I thought Escobar was outstanding tonight. Six tackles, one. He earned three fouls. I thought he was very, very good. And the run he made, and the, the pass from Darling to Nagby to create the penalty, but the run Escobar made, about 40-yard sprint to get there, and then cut it back to earn that penalty. It was a great job by Escobar tonight. No, I thought he had a good game other than the 30 seconds in which he lost his mind and made that a necessary tackle on the free kick and then – didn't track Cheneau to the back post on the goal. Yeah. Two, two big mistakes that led to a goal. Well, the, the free kick. I mean, he, he spins twice out of trouble, and then it's a heavy touch, and he went in recklessly. It's it's a mistake. But anyway, no, he had a great yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Other than, other than those 30 seconds, he had a really good yeah, game. Yeah, the, the, the marking is a bit of an issue, but the, the free kick, he went in just a little recklessly. If you don't go in for that, then you'd be criticizing the other way too. So, yeah, I, I thought Escobar played well. I, I know that he thinks that he's a center back, but he is so dadgum fast. I think fullback or wingback, especially considering the confidence that he seems to be gaining on offense, mm-hmm. uh, at least in Major League Soccer, he, he's going to do fine. He doesn't have any moves per se to dribble, but he is so fast. He can just get up and down the wing and just eat up acres of space. Yeah, it's weird. I don't even. I don't. He's fast. He doesn't look it. I think he just has such a long stride at times. He covers so much ground with every stride. He's really come into his own, and it's given the team an out now with Miguel Almiron. You're able to protect him, play him as a second forward where the defensive responsibilities aren't the same. Gressel can move centrally, and Escobar can cover that right flank. And, and Gressel had, has kind of made that right flank his spot all season. Right. But now with Almiron and trying to get the most out of him, it's made the, it's given the team another layer right. late in the season. Escobar's development's been big. So we talked about uh, Via Morales, which was a talking point from the last game. Another talking point was Torrent 
talking about Atlanta United diving, Atlanta United fouling, and really, you know, NYCFC, I think, was much more guilty of those things than was Atlanta United. I saw a tweet from a national MLS writer saying that Brad Guzan had headbutted an NYCFC player tonight. I went back and watched the video. It was actually the other way around. Uh, Guzan yeah. got headbutted. Yeah. Um, and no card from Geiger and the crew. But that's okay. I thought Geiger called a really solid game uh, tonight. Uh, NYCFC was flopping in the box uh, a couple of times, which I, I think I said on your show mm-hmm. that I thought might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, NYCFC looked to be the desperate team with the desperate yeah. tactics. And Atlanta United just tried to play its game. That's the exact right word. It was desperate from the opening whistle from New York City. It was desperate during the week and with a microphone in front of them. It felt like they were trying to find something to grab onto here and and give them some kind of motivation because I'll go back to what they said going into the first leg. They talked about how important it was to get a win at home because of their road form. They knew what they had to do in the first leg, and they didn't do it. They were grasping at straws coming into the second leg. It looked at times Orlando-esque in how desperate it was and how almost out of control it was from NYC. Really disappointed to see a guy like David Villa and some of the stuff from him in this series. Uh, he undercut Gazan on a, on a play here tonight that was yellow card worthy, and, and that's probably my only quibble with Mark, Mark Geiger. I thought he handled the match really well. I thought he managed it well. Um, New York City, I think, misjudged how to handle Geiger completely. I I think Geiger's not a guy that you're going to be able to complain to and try to provoke into giving cards to the opposition. If anything, that's going to turn him against you. It was very strange, some of the reactions from Morales, frustrated because Rometty kept him in his back pocket the whole series, via frustrated because it really seems like he started to lose that step and didn't have the influence in the match he wanted to. Tenderholm and others, it just felt like New York City was out of control for long stretches in the series. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I was really disappointed in, in Villa's tactics in both games. Uh, the elbow, the, the cleat to the kidney, undercutting Guzan, the constant complaining tonight. Yeah. And I think that NYCFC just really has forgotten or underestimated how fast Almiron, Nagby, Escobar are on a field this big. I mean, Villa gets the ball and looks up and is like, well, crap, I've still got 35 more yards to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just don't mm-hmm. have that kind of gas in my tank anymore. No, and and they just did not really have any answers on how to deal with it. Their only goal was a deflected free kick that fell to Cheneau. That's it. I mean, they just really didn't create very much. No shots on target in the first leg. Four on target here. Two of them were right. Three. Two of those were right at Brad Gazan. No, you had it right. Four. It was four. I thought I remembered it right. It was yeah. a long post-game show. We got to go through lots of different yeah. stuff. Um, it was a just a really solid defensive performance. So, for me, Escobar was man of the match tonight, but man of the series, man of the two, Eric Rometty. Yeah, definitely. Eric Rometty. Uh, just... You know, I had begun to wonder at the end of the regular season if he had just kind of worn down a little bit because he'd been playing almost every minute uh, since he got put in the starting lineup. I think this is his second game since arriving in the summer window. Uh, but he's really kind of found himself again. Uh, I asked him tonight if his offense was just a bonus, and he said it's just luck. <laughs> um, he doesn't get he's, – he's a humble man. But yeah. 
He's a guy who we've seen it a lot here late in the season. He puts himself in good positions moving forward. He's better on the ball than he gets credit for. He's a very complete central midfielder. Defense first, but he is a very complete central midfielder that can impact the match in a variety of ways. So now, uh, as we're taping this podcast, Red Bulls are leading Columbus more than nothing. Atlanta United is going to have five players go off on the international break. Three of them haven't been announced, but it's going to be Almiron, Viaba, and Martinez. It would not surprise me if Atlanta United does ask for some of these guys to please not make them go. Ask the national teams to please not make them go uh, with the playoffs upcoming. These are friendlies. They don't really matter. I don't think Paraguay is playing either. I think it's another camp. Um but as you know, Almiron and the Paraguay camp just don't go together very well. <laughs> yeah, um, and neither does Vialba. Well, he Vialba, got hurt the yeah. Last time he was down there. Yeah, yeah. Almiron got hurt before he went down last um, time. I don't think they're playing games, so that is a different conversation. Uh, Dave Sarikin said last week that players who were still alive in the playoffs would not play the second game against Italy. Um, so Brad and Darlington could be there for the game against England at Wembley and then come back. That's okay. It's it's not perfect. It's not ideal. I've always I've said for a while now MLS needs to figure out something about their scheduling because you're always going to have a break at this time, and this is a, just an awful time momentum wise to have it. Atlanta's going to have to figure out how to deal with it. And the last talking point uh, that I think we need to hit uh, is Atlanta United surpassed one million in tickets sold and distributed for its uh, 19 home games this season. That includes the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, I believe they've got to be probably the first team in North America, soccer, to do that. Um, I can't believe Cosmos did it. No, Um, Cosmos never averaged 53,000 per game. I didn't put that in the story I posted um, because I I can't verify it yet. Uh, But I do believe they've, they've got to be the first soccer team in North American history uh, I'm sorry, not North American history, United States and Canadian history to do that. I don't know about yes. teams in Mexico. Um, just how do you make sense of that achievement? The way this team, the way this club has been built from day one is why that's the case. Um, they've been able to capitalize on a soccer market that, that you and I have both known has been here in Atlanta people would point to attendances with the Silverbacks or other things, but you had never had an absolute first-class soccer product in the city of Atlanta ever because when the Chiefs tried to do it in the early days, soccer didn't really exist. You didn't have anything to fall back on. Um, Second version of the Chiefs was not a great team on the field, not till the last year, and by that point the league was falling apart. The ruckus, the silverbacks, the Atlanta attack, all that. You, you just you never had a team able to do it in this manner. And Arthur Blank making the decision to do it, putting soccer in this stadium rather than building a 20,000-seater out in the suburbs, that's a huge part of it. The fact that soccer is talked about in Atlanta at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, on 92.9 The Game, on lots of TV stations in Atlanta – in the same way the Falcons are talked about, in the same way the Braves and the Hawks and college football's talked about, that's the secret to me, is in other markets around the country, 
soccer is in a bubble over off to the side, and that's only where it's discussed. Here, it's on the front page of the AJC. It's talked about in Afternoon Drive on 92.9, and it's just part of the sports conversation. And the soccer crowd loves it, but your average sports fan who showed up tonight, maybe this was their first Atlanta United match, will want to come back for the conference finals. Yeah, it's it's funny. People who don't live in Atlanta and who haven't been to Atlanta don't understand how big Atlanta United is. There was a, a writer in New York when I was up there last week uh, who was going to come to Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta for the first time. Red Bulls just scored a second goal. Um, and Ooh. was surprised that there's a subway. Uh, <laughs> was asking me, are there different types of food in Atlanta? Uh, I'm like, dude, it's 9 million people. Yeah, there's lots of different types of food. Uh, people just don't understand how many people live in metro Atlanta and how easy it is to get in and out of the city uh, as long as it's not rush hour. Um, and all those are factors. I mean, the Chiefs, there were too many, pe- two million people in metro Atlanta, I think, when the Chiefs yeah, were around. Yeah, different city. Uh, now it's 8 to 9 million. Um, so anyway, the next games are going to be, it looks like, probably Red Bulls, uh, in which case Atlanta United uh, will host the first game on November 25th, then head to Harrison, New Jersey on my birthday, November 29th, uh, for the second leg. Uh, and this time I'm flying into Newark. Um, <laughs> so what, how do you, what do you think about that matchup, Jason? Well, we'll, we'll see. And, but most of you listening to this will already know what's going on. We're, we're looking at it right as the Red Bulls get the second goal to take the lead in the series. So things could change. I think Atlanta's in a different place than they were when they went to Red Bull Arena. Um, I think having the first leg at home is actually a good thing for Atlanta. I really like the setup of being able to try to put your stamp on the series here where, let's go back to May, Atlanta United should have been 2-0 up. Yep. And it was, I think, the worst VAR decision of the year on a foul that... Tim Parker steps on Joseph Martinez, then Joseph hops in the air, as anybody does when their foot is stomped on, and clips Parker. Parker goes down after initiating the contact, fouls called in the attacking phase of play. Then you had a penalty go against Miles Robinson on the other end, which was soft, but can't argue it too much. Then you had craziness with Lorenowitz sent off and brought back early in the second half, and you gave up two goals in quick succession. At 2-0, it was a different game. And Atlanta United has that opportunity to open a Red Bulls team up. Atlanta's playing with a lot of confidence. With the the stakes of the last two matches, best performances we've seen from Atlanta United in their history. Can they continue that against Red Bulls? They'll have two weeks to prepare for the Red Bulls press, and we'll see how active the Red Bulls press is at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, if that's the matchup. And the Chris Armas versus Tata Martino talk should be a lot of fun for a couple of weeks. Yes, it should. Uh, and Red Bulls have scored again. And, uh, yes, we will be seeing the New York <laughs> Red Bulls. Another Royer goal. That's two for him. Um, yeah, it's going to be it'll be a fun matchup. Um, anyway, but we're, we've talked way too much right now. <laughs> I'm going to wind this up. Jason, what do you have upcoming? Uh, overreaction Monday, which now with Atlanta and New York, we'll have uh, lots of overreactions. Tomorrow, 9 o'clock, you can listen to it at SoccerDownHere.net. You can listen to it on Spreaker. You can also download the Soccer Down Here app for Android or iOS and listen to it there. 
I'm really not sure how Stefan did not get even a hand on this shot. That's really bad from Zach Stefan. Uh, Brad Kazan <laughs> should be the number one for the U.S. men's national team. All right. Uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I'm going to go post this podcast and my player ratings tonight, and then I'm going to come back tomorrow with probably something on Miles Robinson, uh, probably something on Rometty, uh, and then probably just some news bursts on some other things. Anyway, I hope you all have a good night. Again, Atlanta United advances to the Eastern Conference Finals after a 3-1 to win tonight against NYCFC. Took the two-game aggregate series 4-1. to I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.